So welcome back to our second week in the second chapter of Titus. We are now finishing up the second chapter of this very short three-chapter book. Now last week, if you were here, we left off at a cliffhanger. We were working our way through Paul's character quality listing as he was working his way through those in the church. He was giving instructions as he was giving us character goal posts for both men and women, both young and old. Now last week we worked through Paul's words to Titus who was left in charge of establishing churches on the island of Crete. He was looking for qualified leadership. And Paul was writing him, hey, this is the kind of qualities you should be looking for, those in leadership. And he moved on from those qualities of the leaders. And then in the beginning of chapter 2, he started moving on to qualities that people at different age groups, different genders should be working towards within the church, those who have called on the name of Christ. Now, we noted that the older men that he had instructed that they lead by example, being men who were both respected and were full of self-control. That the older ladies had been instructed that they too should be leading by example. They should be reverent in their behavior, keeping away from the social trap of gossip. Now, Paul had said that they should be examples, especially towards the younger women. In fact, Paul was insisting that the older ladies become teachers of good things, And in all reality, Paul wanted the older generation to be a people who purposely passed on their experience and life lessons. If you are going to be an older generation in Christ, this is what he was expecting of you. In fact, this is really the the entire older crowd, that if you walked with Christ for a couple of decades, if you maybe had been married for a couple of decades... That is, if your hair was graying or thinning, or maybe your hair was even leaving you, he was talking to you as a growing and maturing Christ follower, believer, that you should be purposely passing on your faith to the next generation. Your stories, your struggles, the things that you have faced, the obstacles that you have had to overcome, and the faith that has helped you hold it together through all of it, and those invaluable stories are those are the ones that you need to pass on to those after you. They desperately need to hear your stories. Otherwise, the next generation is left to walk blindly through life. And they fall into some of the many, well, many of the same pitfalls. When your instruction, if you'd have been able to pass it on, could have helped them avoid those devastating circumstances that you once yourself had to walk through as well. And this is exactly what Paul is doing as he's writing to Titus. He's passing on his experience to the next generation. And he's passing it on purposely to the next generation of leadership. And in doing so, some of the words that he's passing on include our very own memory verses, which say we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So let's say them together. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. That's Titus 2, 12b. We have now talked over the past couple of weeks all three of these characteristics. We've looked at soberly, righteously, and godly. But I want you to notice that he ends the sentiment in the words, in this present age, in this present age. And choosing his words wisely as God's directing him, we know that these are not just character qualities for the men and women of the first century. 
In fact, actually, these are meant for men and women of all ages through all of the church history. That includes us today in our present age because we too are being called to live soberly, to live lives that reflect consistent and constant decisions, to live righteously, to live lives that are just, and to live godly lives that reveal that we follow God's standard of living in our lives. In many ways, this is exactly what Paul is trying to get to, and he's going to be addressing, in some ways, the same thing today in his message as we continue on in chapter 2. And again, he goes over the expectations of every Christ follower. He says, you know what, this is the bar that you should be reaching for. This is where you should be looking to. But he has specific expectations for each of us in each of the stages of our lives. He doesn't just blanket statement, this is where every Christ follower should be. He understands that there's a difference between young and old, mature and unwise, both men and women. He understands there are differences, and so he addresses them each individually because we're slightly different. So today's sermon title is Titus, Patterns of Grace, Patterns of Grace. We're actually going to be doing uh, slightly different today. We're going to have three different main areas. The character of young men, the character of bond servants, and a character of grace. There's a familiar theme there with the word character. Hint, hint for those who's taken notes in the bulletin. Sorry, sometimes I got to drop things for the kids in their bulletins. If you ever want notes, we do have kids' bulletins in the back. It's designed for them, but anybody can enjoy them, especially if you like crayons and stuff. So all the way in the back, help yourselves. Last week, we ended on verse 6, and it reads, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Now, Paul had been listing character qualities that we should all be aiming for at all stages of life. So he'd gone through the older men, uh, the older women, the younger women. Now he's moved on to the younger men. He set his sights on the younger men. Now, last time I mentioned, if you were here with us, verses 6 through 8 are the verses that we have chosen as our trail life troop verses. Now, let's start working through them, and hopefully you're going to begin to see why we chose them as our Trail Life Troop verses. Verse 7 says this. I'll have it on the screen. It says, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. So it has to be noted that in verse 6, the verse previous to this, he said, to the younger men, and then that's a general statement. And now in verse 7, he says, in all things, show yourself. It's a specific statement. It goes from general to specific. So the question is, why did he just switch pronouns? Why did he go from general to specific? Well, it's because Titus is a young man himself. And he's writing to Titus. So he's grouping Titus in this section of instructions. He's saying, you also need to be doing this, not just the other young men. And he's telling Titus to be a young man who becomes an example of leadership. He's in a position of influence over other men and other women and he has to have a specific nature about him as he goes and instructs those around him. We talked about influence and who has influence last time. And Titus himself has to be an example in these character qualities. So he says, show yourself to be a pattern of good works. Effectively, he's telling Titus that he shouldn't just walk around and tell people, hey, you should be doing good things. That he, Titus, should be showing them by an example in his own life. He should be putting his hand to the proverbial plow and show others a good work. It's easy to talk about things that we want to see done. We all talk about, I'd love to see this done. I'd love to see this done. 
It's easy to dream about good things that we would do if we only had the time. But unfortunately, this is where most of us stop. We talk about doing, but we never end up doing. And I once ran across a quote that said these words. It says, be the change you wish to see in the world. Be the change you wish to see in the world. And this is really the core of what Paul is telling Titus, that if he wants the young men to do good things, if he wants them to display godly character, then he has to lead the charge and be an example of what he wants to see in others. In many ways, this is exactly what he was telling the older men and women. The message that he says, lead by example. The older generation is to lead by example. And he's telling Timothy the exact same sentiment. This requires a mindset shift in each of us, not just to be good followers, as this is really what the message of the church has been for the last couple of generations, be good followers of Jesus. After all, who doesn't want to be a good follower of Christ? But Paul's central message is, yes, follow Jesus, but also lead by example. And this is why he once said to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Paul understood leadership, and he understood the importance of influence, and for both good and bad. So he says, follow me, Paul, as I follow Jesus. So effectively, he's saying in Pastor Jake's translation, I will follow Jesus in such a way that you can watch my life and learn how to follow Jesus as well. Now, that's quite a statement. The question is, how many of us have been bold enough to purposely say the same about our own lives. In verse 7, Paul has just said, show yourself to be a pattern of good works. And then he says, in doctrine and integrity and reverence and incorruptibility. And first he says, lead by example. Then he lists three different qualities that we should be leading by example as young men. And he says, it should be seen in the treatment of our doctrine that we choose to follow, that we show integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. So to have these three qualities, we first have to know what it is what it is we believe and why we believe it. So he says, first, you need to know what it is you believe and then show yourself a pattern example of why you believe it in your life. So the more you understand these two things, what you believe and why you believe it, the more effective you will be at living by what you believe and defending it when it becomes under attack. So for example, if you don't know why we interpret the word of God the way that we do and someone comes up and they misinterprets it, your opinion can be easily swayed by your misunderstanding or your lack of information. And you will find yourself falling into a trap of someone else's inaccurate reasoning. You won't know better and you'll be led away by your own ignorance. So in verse 8, Paul continues on as in instructions. He says these words. He says, sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that the one who is an opponent may, not, may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Now, when he says sound speech, there are two areas of speech that he's addressing. Our speech is content and its consistency. Our speech is content and its consistency. When it comes to content, especially in the lives of young men, that comes down both to words and ideas. So this is probably a really good place in the sermon to insert a personal story. Say, hey, personal stories, those are always fun, right? So when I was raised, I was raised to be, um, let's say, um, uh, morally good. Um, I was raised to some biblical standards, but the Bible was never given as the basis for those standards. 
And so I was raised uh, to moral standards, and um, I grew up uh, in public school, and um, I graduated, I joined the military, went to the Marine Corps, and while I was in the Marine Corps, I developed the mouth of a sailor, um, being in the military service. If you've ever known anyone in the military service, you may have known this about them as well. But both profanity and vulgarity became so integral to my speech, I didn't even recognize how bad it was until it had been pointed out to me by more than one person. Um, And so during my time in my service, uh, I actually accepted Christ while I was in the Marine Corps. And after such, I decided I wanted to go to Bible college. Now, if you uh, know anything about anything, there is a vast difference between living a worldly life in the Marine Corps and living life as a Bible college student trying to learn about Jesus. They're not quite the same place. And so I went to Bible college um, and I'm pretty sure they thought I was mute, like I didn't speak, because I had realized after someone had pointed it out to me that I didn't know how to speak in an uplifting way, um, that I needed to rearrange my speech. I needed to rethink of the way things through. And so I, I almost said nothing my first year. I was very, very quiet. Um, it had gotten really bad. And we as Christ followers should have sound speech. Men, especially young men, are vulnerable to falling away from this. However, and I want to put this one on the screen, when Paul says sound speech, he doesn't just mean stay away from four-letter words and crude jokes. He's also talking about being consistent, becoming men of our word. At one point, politicians were respected men and women. However, after many years of broken promises and scandals, the trust in them that we have has reached an all-time low. And it's no wonder. It's hard to trust somebody that says one thing and then does another. Paul is telling the young men that they should show integrity in their speech. So think about it. Someone comes up to you and says that they have the greatest gift ever ever given and they want to impart it to you. And the best part is somebody else has paid for that gift on your behalf, meaning it's completely free to you. Sounds like a pretty good deal that you're about to receive, right? But what if the person has a reputation for being a liar? What if everyone in town knows that they tend to embellish their stories? The fish was this big. That they rarely follow through with their promises, the deal starts to fall apart, right? It doesn't sound as good once you know the source that it's coming from. And this is exactly how our patterns of speech affect our ability to tell others the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we don't have a reputation based on integrity and consistency, then no matter how much we want to tell the world about God's only son who died on the cross for us, who paid the price that we couldn't pay, paid it on our behalf, making salvation completely free to us, that all we have to do is agree with God what he says about our sin and believe that God has raised Jesus from the dead, no one will listen to us because our words can't be trusted. Because it all sounds too good to be true. And to top it off, we have a reputation that's less than honest. And this and so many other reasons, what we've talked about, are the reasons why Paul is calling Titus to be an example to others especially the other young men, to set them on a right path so that they don't lose their reputations and their ability to point others towards Jesus Christ when they finally have the opportunity to do so. 
Second point is the character of bond servants. So he switches from the character of young men and then he goes into bond servants or slaves is another word of saying this. Now in an article I was reading, it, made, uh, it said that it made actually a great amount of sense that Paul would devote a portion of scripture to bond servants. Apparently, uh, after a bunch of archeological digs, uh, they, when they go into the catacombs uh, of the different places in the, the world where Christianity has been accepted, they actually found, especially over in Israel, uh, in that area, that 90% of the names that were listed were slaves. Um, and so they figured out that uh, the, the early church, a large portion, was actually mostly slaves. The gospel struck a note early on with slaves, and many came to faith in Christ. So what does Paul say to them? Well, let's take a look. In verse 9, it says these words. He says, exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. So tell the bond servants, the slaves, to be obedient to their own masters. Well, wait a second. Doesn't the Bible say that slavery is bad? Doesn't it speak out against slavery? Well, actually, no. The Bible actually never condemns slavery. It never promotes slavery. It just kind of addresses it as a fact of life that it was happening at that time. And it even uses it at times to actually help us to understand some ideas that are big and broad that God has in plan for us. So Paul says to the slaves, he says, be obedient to your masters. So the question is, why would he say that? Well, what has the purpose been of the letter so far? Paul is writing to Titus to establish leaders of character. The purpose of this letter is establishing Christ-like character in our lives. And by this, Paul is saying to each of us that no matter where we are at, it will do us no good to think of ourselves as better than our situation. When we start thinking of ourselves as better than our situation, it does not go well. We are called to lead by being servants. So as the pastor of the church, I am not above scrubbing the toilet. I take my turn just like everybody else in the rotation. At your job, you should not be above a task just because you have seniority. Good leaders lead by example. And this is what Paul is calling the men and women in the lowest working class of his day too, to lead by example. He says, no matter where you're at in the social structure, you can still lead by example. So he continues on in verse 10. He says these words. He says, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of our God, our Savior in all things. So the word pilfering really just means stealing, and when I was young and immature, there were times that I thought that some of the businesses that I worked for, they charged a little bit too much for their products and uh, that I should be able to have it for free because, you know, I earned it. Uh, and unfortunately, I had some friends that actually, uh, they acted upon those same thoughts and they actually stole from some of the businesses. And Paul was saying, what good will it do to steal from your employer and then for him to find out you're a Christian? Well, what good does that do for your testimony? So you tell your boss you need Sunday off because you're a Christian, then later he finds out you've been stealing from the company? What kind of reputation does that give you? What kind of reputation does that give every other Christ follower who wasn't even part of your poor decision? He says, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So the question is, what does he mean by adorn? Well, have you ever heard the phrase, Put in a positive light. Put it in a positive light. That's essentially what he's saying. Put the gospel of Christ in a positive light. And he's saying more specifically, um, 
Well, here, let's put it this way. Unless you were a toddler, you probably got to choose the clothes you put on today. Everybody here probably, unless some of you probably had your wives put on your clothes on the bed. But you got, you got up this morning, you looked in your closet or your dresser, you're like, I'm going to choose that one, that one, and that one. And hopefully you didn't have to go to the hamper and pull one out. I'm going to reuse that one, um, depending on where you're at. You got to choose what you put on. You chose it specifically. As the pastor, I stand up here, I choose what I wear very specifically because of what I'm trying to say towards you guys. And we, we get to choose our clothes on purpose. Now, your choice of clothing defines you. And so does mine. I choose what I wear, like I said in the pulpit, because of the message it sends. We each send a message by what we choose to wear. I can walk into a bank and very quickly I can tell who works behind a desk for a living and who works with their hands for a living. It's very obvious by the way that they carry themselves and what they wear. We can see that just by looking at them. And Paul says that you being a Christian, your actions are going to define what the gospel looks like to others both by what you do in a good way and by what you neglect to do or fail to do in a bad way. Your actions place the gospel both in a good light or in a poor light, depending on what you choose to do. You are, like we mentioned before in the last sermon, you're a walking Bible to so many who will never open the book. So, point number three, character of grace, a character of grace. So in the remaining five verses of this chapter, Paul points Titus and us to grace, the character of Jesus Christ. So he starts off by saying in verse 5, you can actually open your Bible uh, here, uh, sorry, uh, verse 11. Verse 11, he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That's verse 11. He says that it's the grace of God that has brought salvation and that the opportunity for salvation has appeared to all men. And he's saying that everyone has the same opportunity to accept Jesus Christ. That the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And he continues on to our memory verse in 12. He says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And Paul points us towards grace. And he says that it is grace that teaches us how to live. Why? Why, why is it grace? And why not something else like condemnation? Without Jesus, we're all condemned. We're all slated to an eternity without God. And we're unable to save ourselves. Yet, it's grace that brings us back. There's a song that I ran across earlier this year, and my kids have the same habit that I do. When we get stuck on a song, we'll put it on repeat for like months on end. It drives my wife nuts, uh, but my boys have the same habit. And it's uh, by a band called Unspoken, and uh, it says these words. It says, children of God... What have we done? We've taken the truth and we've made it a weapon. How easy we forget what drew and pulled us in. It was not pointed fingers or proving me wrong that called and convicted me to come home. But kindness brought repentance, freedom and forgiveness, O oh children. And Paul, as he instructs Titus, as he's teaching us today, he points us to the word grace. Paul says in verse 12 that grace teaches that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should turn away from the old life and run towards the new one in Jesus that he's offering. Grace has brought us salvation. When we start there, when we start judging others because they haven't lived up to our standards, 
We hold them to a standard that we can't even live up to ourselves. And we only drive people away. So in verses 13 and 14, he says these words. He says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Jesus died for every single one of us, old, young, man or woman, free or slave. The message here, what Paul has just said, is that Jesus died for every single one of us because we are so trapped within sin that we cannot free ourselves. He died so that we could walk away from our sin, so that we could lay it down and pick up the life that Christ has now offered to us. And this is why Paul says that he might redeem us and purify for himself. He says, grace has found you, and he's, grace has offered you a second chance at life. But there's a catch. There's a catch. You have been redeemed, and you've been bought with the blood of Jesus. Where you once were a slave to sin, unable to find relief, you now have been presented with the opportunity to become a bondservant of Christ, a willing life service flowing out of gratitude of a grateful heart. So ending in chapter, he says these words in verse 15. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Now, I'm sure Titus did just this. He spoke these things. He taught about the character of God that is trying to pull out each and every single one of us. He corrected poor teaching, and he taught with authority of his position. Titus probably did these things. It's the reason why we're still talking about him today. This is what I've attempted to do as we've been presenting this to you here from the pulpit. So let's wrap this one up today. Today we've looked at Paul's instructions to Titus, to the young men of the church that he was establishing. He wanted qualified leaders. And Paul's primary concern through each age, both the age groups and the genders, is that we should be actively becoming examples of Jesus Christ to those who are around us, especially to those who we have influence on. Paul desperately wanted the men in their younger years to develop good character so that they wouldn't have to walk through the same mistakes so many of them before. Basically, he was saying that no one regrets developing good character. Anybody here ever de regret developing good character? No, no? A uh, bad character, yes. But nobody regrets developing good character. And this is why he said that even slaves who have no option but to be in their position could still display the same good character so that the name of Jesus would not be defiled by poor choices in life. But instead of being put in a poor light because of a momentary lapse in judgment, we could lift the name of Christ up and we could have integrity and people would trust our words and what we said and did. So let's finish today's sermon with two practical questions. First one is, Paul purposely said, follow me as I follow Jesus. So the question I have is, can you say the same about your own life? If they watched you this week like a fly on the wall, would your actions, your words, maybe your reactions, would they point them to Jesus? Or would they point them somewhere else? Second question. What was it that drew you to Christ? Just about everybody here I have talked to about having a personal relationship in Christ. So most all of you have a personal story of when you came to Christ, what was it that drew you first to him? 
Sometimes it's good to be reminded why we first asked Jesus to be our Savior. For some, it was more recently. Some of you are going to take a second and have to think way back. That's not a bad thing. However, we all start somewhere. What was it that drew you to him? My follow-up's going to be, how is it that you try to draw others to him? Have you been using the wrong method? I want to re-quote that song before we end. It says, how easy we forget what drew and pulled us in. It was not pointed fingers or proving me wrong that called and convicted me to come home, but kindness brought repentance, freedom, and forgiveness. What drew you in? Pass it on. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you that you see in us what we cannot yet see. You see the character of the young men and women and the older men and women that we can still become. Lord, you left us here on this earth for a reason so that we could begin to look more and more like you. Lord, we are still here because you're still working on us. So, Father, I ask that you continue to step into the lives of every single Christ follower here. Lord, help them to daily choose to follow you. Lord, help us to purposely, when we put on the clothes in the morning, help us to be reminded to put you on, to put on who you are and who you want us to become. Father, help us to be reminded of what you died for. Lord, help us to be reminded of the salvation that you have given us so freely. I thank you for an opportunity to grow. Help us to use it well. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Jake. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to these messages that we put online. I do pray that these are helpful for the times you just can't be with us in person. I want to remind you that this recording is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be in a community of faith where the Word of God is being preached and proclaimed. We are told by Scripture to gather together so that we each belong to a local body of believers where we are being shaped by being known by using each of our gifts and walking faithfully in God's Word. So thank you again so much for listening and growing with us. I hope you enjoyed today's message.